Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific Vancouver and Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. We're in the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, p- powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canucks get back into action last night, and they hold on for a victory over the Carolina Hurricanes. What else is new? A day that ends in why the Canucks got another win. Uh, that's all they do. Win hockey games, <laughs> shut teams down in the third period, come away with two points, lead the National Hockey League. You know, just another day at the office. Another player that they sign or trade for just gets off to a, a raring good start. Two uh, goals for Elias Lindholm, like ho-hum. Yeah, just joins the team and the good vibes just emanate, you know, through everybody and everybody feels great. If you've got a shooting percentage issue, just join the Vancouver Canucks and it'll be immediately fixed. That's what we learned last night with uh, Elias Lindholm scoring a couple of power play goals. He fixed the Canucks power play and uh, really fixed a lot of the lineup, Sat. I um, I know I listened to, to you and Bick on the postgame show and a lot of people, a lot of listeners, a lot of fans were calling in and really excited and hyped up about Elias Lindholm. Why wouldn't you be? He scores the two goals. But beyond that, I mean, the fit was just, it seemed obvious when the trade was made seemed obvious obvious in the speculation of the trade before it actually happened and then you see it in action and you're immediately like yeah mm-hmm. this this works and i think immediately you see the potential of how much it could impact the canucks in a positive way and we talked about this in the last couple of days as well but the upgrade from kuzmenko to to lindholm obviously offense wise you're still going to get a good amount of offense from Elias Lindholm. Yeah. But now you get another player that can take face-offs. You get a guy who can help on the penalty kill. You can get a guy who's going to add to your power play. Everything Lindholm brought in night one, it was the offense plus the added bonus of a legit top six player that the coach trusts in big situations, in defensive matchups, that he's not, oh my God, we got to get this guy off the ice because Sebastian Ajo's out there. It's incredible how much that has not only an effect on Elias Pettersson and that top line and what it could mean moving forward, but also the after effects that it could mean for down the lineup as well. Absolutely. I mean... Putting players, what it allows it, the team to do is put players into more positions to be successful a yeah. lot more easily instead of having to make some tough choices on this might be an imperfect solution to this challenge. Yes. But we have to do it because this is our best solution yeah. out of all the imperfect ones we have at our disposal. Now that you have Lindholm, like they're really, you don't have to put JT Miller out there in, in the toughest situations yeah. defensively. And he's On done... penalty kill all the time. Exactly. Now, he's done a really good job um, this year changing his game, right? Being really responsible defensively. He, he's improved leaps and bounds. There's no doubt. He makes great impact now. But he's still not like this elite level Selkie caliber defender, right? No. Well, Lindholm is. Yeah. Like he... Legitimately was a, is. Was a runner-up to it a couple years back. So Only he's to a, Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Like if, if Patrice Bergeron doesn't exist... Elias Lindholm is winning that Selkie trophy. Absolutely. he And we saw it last night. The coach already, Rick Tockett, in the first game, had him playing 21 minutes in a critical one-goal yep. game in the third period. He had him out there more than anybody else. 
that tells you quite a bit. Now, what does that mean for JT and how much better he can be in other situations? Because now he spends less energy in some of those situations. Well, what was one of the first things Patrick Alvin and, and Jim Rutherford actually talked about? I think it was Patrick Alvin going into last season. Um, and obviously the team got off to a terrible yeah. start. But one of the things Patrick said was, you know, we'd like to back off of JT Miller's minutes a bit. And, you know, that how, that hasn't always been possible. And even Rick Tockett, when he first came to Vancouver, I'd like mm-hmm. to, to back off some of these guys' minutes if you can. But now that you've added Lindholm, you can do that. You know, JT, I know his PK role had been diminished already this season, but... Now that you've added Lindholm, maybe JT doesn't have to worry about the penalty kill at all, right? Or only when you're having to go a little bit deeper or certain guys in the penalty box and so JT comes in. Whatever it might look like, his role is, you would hope he can be more efficient now with the minutes he's given and having a bit of a lesser role or having somebody else to share the load that no longer that that JT doesn't have to carry as much anymore you don't have to you don't have to feel the need to hard match his line yeah as often as you've had you have the option of getting away from doing that which in theory should hope free him up more and I mean they've done a good job limiting his minutes more than last year like he's playing 1942 this year played 2040 last year he was playing over 21 minutes the year prior it might not seem like a lot but like you know that's essentially one and a half, two shifts a game. Yeah. So one minute fewer in 50 games is 50 minutes. Yeah. So that's the equivalent of, of two and a half games almost. Yep. You know, so that's, you know, that's some wear and tear in the Usain on a player, you know, in terms of minutes and mileage, right? Especially at a guy that's 30 years old. And not that that's a, you know, something that he's not going to be able to overcome or anything. But now having him more geeked up for the playoffs, that's what you want. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean you're not going to have JT out there in the final couple minutes of a game. It just means you don't have to rely on it as much. Yeah. Same thing for Pedersen, He doesn't have too. to get out there and take every single face off. Exactly. And same thing for Pedersen. Um, as much as, hey, Lindholm and Pedersen are playing together, there will be situations where Lindholm's going to be out there with different guys in different situations because of everything he's capable of doing. Yeah. Which takes away responsibility now that, hey, if you feel like Pedersen's not feeling it and JT's not quite feeling it, Asking Teddy Bluger to go out, go out and shut down the other team's best players consistently, as good as he's been, is asking a lot. Well, Lindholm, you can ask that. Yeah. You know? And we saw it last night. I mean, immediately gets deployed against Sebastian Ajo. Now, I know it's it's a road game, so you're not getting a yeah. a, a full picture of, of how Rick Tockett wants to uh, deploy these players, but he didn't go away from uh, Lindholm and, and Ajo uh, as sort of a, a, a matchup that at least Rod Brindamore was was going for. So there was that. And, you know, in the, the 12 minutes that uh, the Pedersen line played against Ajo, you know, it was pretty even, mm-hmm. right? And sure, they didn't win the matchup necessarily goals-wise, but um, you didn't lose the matchup either. And it allowed you to win the matchup elsewhere on the night, which is something the Canucks have done a lot of. Win in the bottom six, and last night it was the JT Miller line that made the difference. You know, and we've talked a lot about how this has been a high-flying team, scored a lot, right? But I think its its true nature is going to be something along the lines of being more of a 3-2 hockey team. We're seeing that more often now. I mentioned this a bit earlier, and it was funny because somebody texted in before and said, and the Canucks just kept scoring six goals, seven goals. It's like, so hey, what happened to that? This Canucks team's going to you know win low-scoring games more. Yeah, Every yeah. game is high-scoring. But I do think with Lindholm here now too, the Canucks are going to play more mistake-free hockey. 
Like yeah. last night, if they don't make two mistakes, one, Pedersen with a bad turnover mm-hmm. on the power play, Lafferty making the mistake, right? That leads to the first goal in the game. The second goal comes off the too many men penalty. Yeah. Like, hey, remember, remember the coach said, we've had too many a couple months ago. They've had a few since then. Yeah. You know, it's still something they've got to clean up. Yeah. It's like you're shooting yourself in the foot. You don't do those two things. You might win that game 3-1. Yeah. You know? And well, you didn't give up a five on five goal again. Right. And that's something they've almost trademarked this year is like they just don't give up a ton at at five on five. And you think about the schedule through the back end of the season. We're talking about this um, in the lead up to the show. But, you know, you got Boston tomorrow. Uh, coming up on the schedule, you've got Winnipeg, you've got Colorado, you've got L.A., Boston again, multiple games with L.A., Winnipeg, and, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that's where your lower-scoring matchups are likely going to come. Those, like last night, mm-hmm. playoff-type matchups, playoff-type games, teams that are really trying to hamper down and tighten the screws a little bit so that they get their games playoff ready and those are the ones that i'm i'm gonna evaluate more than whatever layups you're gonna get against anaheim or whoever else for the end of the season yeah and i mean so the Canucks win that game and they at no point did i feel like we're outmatched no no and i I didn't love their third period of times but like they at the same time they they still defended well enough that even under the pressure it didn't feel as bad as it could have I'm in complete agreement. It's more to me about release the uh, steam a little bit yeah. instead of letting it build up, even if it's not dangerous. The goalie gets tired at some point. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's kind of like... Makes, um, eventually, you make a mistake. That's the thing I worry yeah. about. That's it. Like, the other thing is... Um, so, like, a closer in baseball. Would you prefer a guy who strikes out a ton of people or a guy who, you know, induces soft contact, gets ground balls and stuff like that, but doesn't have... The strikeout pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you'd prefer the closer that has the strikeout pitch because it takes more luck out of the equation, mm-hmm. right? Ball in play could squeak through the infield or an error happens. Who knows, right? It's a ball in play. And that's, that's where, you know, if you're under a lot of pressure often enough, even if you're leading the game, a bad bounce can go against you and all of a sudden you're it's a tie game, even though you've defended pretty well. That happened, you know, against Columbus, essentially, a couple of weeks ago when they lost the the shootout game in Columbus, the first time they've given up a third period lead this mm-hmm. year. You know, it was one play where they just kind of got caught and Columbus ends up winning the game in a shootout. But, you know, you want to take luck out of the equation as much as you can. So try to spend less time in your own end. And that is nitpicking because yes. to your point... When it came to actually defending, they were fantastic. And I rewatched the game again, and, I'm, and I was impressed by how well they boxed out. And the only real chance they gave up was the Kokaniemi chance, yeah, uh, who came in uh, alone, and he got behind the defense. That's the only player they got behind the defense. That's Natchez it. with a nice little through ball. Yeah, it was a great pass. Like it was, a, it was a great moment from them. Demko came up big, and yeah, that's yeah. the other story here with Thatcher Demko and how good he's been. But. Outside of that chance, everything else, they kept to the outside. Demko saw everything. They didn't give up any second chances. And great job in terms of defending their space, too. And they stayed within uh, their their system. They had the sticks in the right lanes the entire time. They were disruptive while they were still defending in their own zone. They battled for every inch. So when you're defending as well as they are, at no point did you feel really worried about it. 
You would have preferred that you spent more time yeah. in the offensive zone, but at no point were you concerned that things were going to fall apart for them. There's just, uh, and, and Talkin has mentioned this a bunch of times, so there's, there's moments where they can connect a play rather than just flip the puck out, and that's still a bit of a work in progress for this team. But again, this is nitpicking and things you're trying to fine-tune as you get closer to the playoffs. Yeah, and it comes down to the overall team game. The Boston Bruins, who the Canucks are going to be playing here on Thursday. Yeah. Probably an angry Bruins team. Yeah, uh, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> for a couple of reasons. But they're a team that does not have the same level of talent they had last year. No. And yes, they're not on the same pace as they were last year, setting records and everything. But they're still one of the top teams in the league because of how they play. Yeah. They barely make mistakes, but they also have players in positions where they can really excel. They have a lot of two-way guys. You know, They have guys that can really play well within a system. Well, the Canucks have that now with Lindholm. I see Tyler texting in and saying, I'm not saying Lindholm didn't have a great game. I'm just saying it was one game. I want to see what he looks like after 10 or 15. Absolutely fair. I'm not even thinking about his production, really. They had the two goals. It's more about the point we just made earlier about how the team can play. Yeah. And if this team can just continue to uh, hone in on what they've what they're becoming because as much as a lot of good things happen they can still be better than what they were against Carolina and that's exciting because it's like you see you still see room for growth room for improvement and that's the type of thing that gives you hope and encouragement that they have a legitimate chance here and Lindholm is a big part of that and it's mostly about to me how it allows the team to play and if you can play real clean mistake free hockey and dominate the overall process then the results are going to come. And I don't really care about the production because it doesn't matter. It, yeah. The wins are going to be there. You're you're almost, like you're pretty much at a point where it, it, even if you're playing on the road, you're not worried. Now that you have Lindholm and you take Kuzmenko out, a player that the coach clearly didn't trust defensively, you're at, you're at a point where any of your top nine, any of your top three lines, you're not worried about when they're out there on the ice. Almost in, in any matchup. Right, we've seen Taka be okay with sending the Bluger mm-hmm. line out there against some teams' top lines. We know they'd be okay with Miller in those situations, and now um, you're okay with having Pedersen and Lindholm in that situation. So it really rounds out this team in a way that they weren't with Kuzmenko because of its awkward fit, because of the very obvious lack of trust from player and coach, or coach in player, I should say, and. Now that just allows the coach to go about managing his game plan in a much more simple, straightforward way. There is no longer an awkward fit on this roster. The only thing you can point to is, can you find a better fit for the left-wing spot? Can you still upgrade a little bit? Yeah, Yeah. and to me, it's a one spot. On the the forward group, it's just one spot. It's, can you upgrade on Oman, which means getting Suter back down to playing with Lafferty and Hoaglander, yeah. and then getting somebody to play in your top six. And they might try Phil DiGiuseppe there again yeah. and, and move Suter down and see what see how it looks. Depending but on everything, yes. Ultimately, you hope to get something with a little bit more speed and scoring touch than what Phil DiGiuseppe has shown. And that's just so you... As can, much as it pains me to say. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I like what PDG has to offer and they're going to have to lean on him. If this team's going to make a long run in the postseason, yeah. they're going to eventually have some injuries. Guys are going to have to step in and they're going to need to, you know, rely on a lot of these depth guys. And what they've shown is they're capable of filling in. Suter can fill in. PDG yeah. can fill in. They can give you like 10, 15, 20 games even. They can do that for you. But if you if you truly want to take that next step and continue to dominate, 
You want to have somebody slightly better as a full-time option. And that's eight you would like to do. You don't have to do. Yeah. But you add that to already having Lindholm, and we're looking at the hierarchy in the Western Conference. Like, What teams in the NHL scare you? Oh, man. There's not a ton right now. Um, at least, like, I think the Canucks are not too far off from any other team's level is probably the way I would say it, especially now that you add Lindholm. And I think the Canucks have a shot at being an elite team defensively now with, with Lindholm in the fold. Like they've already been a top five ish team defensively. Do they have like another gear that they can get to where maybe they're not riding percentages as much defensively or uh, relying even a little bit less on their goaltending here and there that it, gives them another level on the penalty kill as well. Like that's where I think the gains can still, still be made, but you're talking about, I guess, Colorado and Vegas being in the top tier. And then beyond that, the Canucks are probably in the second tier with a bunch of other teams. Yeah. And getting Lindholm closed that gap even more with Vegas and with Colorado, right? Yeah. And, Colorado, and Colorado, like they're my big thing with Colorado is they just don't have depth. No. And they have to run so hot at the top of their lineup. And I mean, already they're playing McKinnon and Ranton in 23 minutes a game. Yeah, but there's just time. But they're crushing. I mean, they lead the entire National Hockey League in goals. Look at all the injuries they have and lack of depth, and they lead the entire National Hockey League in goals as a team. Well, McKinnon's a freak. Yeah, that team's a freak. I mean, they have a bunch of freaks. It's it's him, Rantanen's a house. You have Kale McCarr, who's ridiculous. But the way Quinn Hughes has played, he's closed the gap with Kale McCarr. So all of a sudden, this high end, the Canucks can go supernova with their high end guys. Not many teams can do that. And even though the Canucks may lack certain things compared to some other squads, because of that factor, I give them the edge over even the Kings who are so far behind now. But even against, say, Winnipeg, I still like the Canucks higher end, the ability to take that, you know, take that next step in a game to truly dominate at the absolute highest level possible. I'm not sure Winnipeg can do it to the same level Vancouver can. And I would bet on that instead. We know McDavid and Drysaddle and those guys can do it. That's why Edmonton's always scary. But we also know their depth issues, goaltending, ultimately... All these teams could also beat the Canucks. Like Dallas could beat Vancouver. All these teams could beat Vancouver. But I like the Canucks' chances against them. Yep. There's, um, especially with the way things are shaking up or shaping up, Edmonton and Vegas in the first round, you know, that's a, that, that'd be a win for the Canucks if they can hold on to top spot in the Pacific Division, no matter what, you know, who they get in, in the wild card spot. Look, you're going to have to play difficult teams as you go through the playoffs, yeah. but if you can avoid or you can have some other teams, you know, go toe-to-toe and knock out each other, that's that's going to be beneficial for, for Vancouver in their hopes of, of making a deep run. Yeah, and what can Vancouver lean on to now? Well, they have a system they can lean on. Yeah. We know they have Quinn Hughes on the back end. Mm-hmm. They have Thatcher Demko. Yeah. And with the way they're playing, right now, defensively, their results in goaltending, they're elite. Yes. Are they truly an elite defensive team? Let's factor in goaltending, like the back end. Are they an elite back end team with how they play and how they defend their own zone and the types of saves they make, they get? So I'd say, for me, the, the best teams in the league defensively are probably... Winnipeg right now with the way they've played the lead the league yeah. in goals against. I think Florida's been there. Right. Uh, Carolina can get there at times just because they suppress yeah. so many shots. Boston. Boston is there. But, you know, now I think we're talking about that's where the Canucks are. Right? As as much as, you know, the, the jokes about PDO have been there, 
they've legitimately taken their game to another level over the last couple of months where the PDO is now a joke rather than maybe a, a more of a legitimate concern earlier in the season because they do defend well. There is reasons why their goaltenders are making so many saves. There are reasons why they have such a high shooting percentage. But more on the defensive side, you, know, you hear Rick talk, and we're going to talk to Woodley about this in a little bit, but you hear Rick talk and always say, we want our goalies to only play half the net. Mm-hmm. And you know they execute to those types of philosophies to a level where that's why they're elite defensively. That's why they have among the best save percentages in the league. We saw it in the third period. That, yep. You know, yeah, you like to spend less time in your own zone, but if you have to defend, they defend as well as anybody yes. in the league. We, we stick to our staples as we defend, yeah. and that means making sure we cut off the seam pass, we don't give teams too much, and we eliminate half the net for the goalie so that he can square up with every shot and have a chance to make that save. And when you play that way from an overall team game standpoint and you have upgraded your defenders and we, we said that like, there is still room for improvement, of course. Right. But as Look, a th- there's no perfect team in the National Hockey League. So yeah. Now, there's I mean, no like what, uh, 77 Canadians. No, no. I mean, it's funny because look at Boston, too, as good as they are. Yeah. They, there's a lot of roster spots you look at and say, OK, um, Colorado, obviously, as you as we mentioned, Dallas, their forward group is insane, insanely deep. But yeah. on, on the back end, once you get past Harley, Lindell, and Heiskanen, it's, you know, yeah, touch and Harley, and you're still, like, because he's so young, yeah. you're, you're kind of, I'd say you want you wonder about that player in the playoffs. Perhaps, right? Yeah. And they have some questions. Like, Hockenpah has been decent in a, in a smaller role. Suter, you saw what happens in the postseason. But they still have, you know, obviously some really good players still with Heiskanen and Lindell, yeah. right? But not a perfect defense. No perfect team exists in the National Hockey League right now. The closest thing to it, healthy, is the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. When they're healthy. And right now, I mean, they won last night and they didn't have Theodore, they didn't have Eichel. Even without Theodore and Eichel, they still, you know, went toe-to-toe with the Edmonton yeah. Oilers. Yeah. Now, so, Edmonton was maybe the better team. and Obviously, they didn't win. But Vegas, they can still, <laughs> even through a b- couple of big injuries, they can still run with the best of them. And, but the Canucks have a chance. Now, yeah. I... I I can't wait to watch how these teams play against one another down the stretch, and we'll see plenty of it between the Canucks and Vegas and LA even, some bigger, heavier teams, and, and we'll see how the Canucks respond to that. And Rager asks us, you know, do you think uh, uh, the Canucks scare any other contenders? I'm not sure they scare Vegas yet. Yeah. But that's going to be I've heard enough different. coaches say that the Canucks are the best team yeah. they've played this year. That I think there are, like, people... People within the game really appreciate what the Canucks and how the Canucks play this season. They do. So I do think some contenders yeah. do. I'm not sure Vegas does yet. I think Vegas is a team you have to show them. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, you're doing great. Show it to us first. Well, at the same time, Vegas, um, like they, they, they've they got a switch that they can flip. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that last night. Yeah. I think we saw it when they came to Vancouver in November. Yeah, they play their best game. And Bruce Cassidy essentially said it after the game. Like, that was the best game we've played all year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they looked incredible against yeah. the Canucks. But that's that's the switch that they can flip as the defending Stanley Cup champs. Yeah. And I mean, they they can be elite defensively when they're on top of their game. Yeah. And I think the Canucks have shown they can be elite in moments. They've gotten away from that at times. And every team is going to get away from it from time to time, especially over a long season. But they've shown traits of, of being close to being that. And that's the thing that I'm most encouraged by this season. If we look at individual strengths for this hockey team, because yes, the goal scoring has been fantastic and terrific, but we know they're going to give you offense with the talent that they have. The way they defend, the way they play as a team, and we know the backbone with Thatcher Demko, 
But now you've tied it together. And if you're a team that can defend and get saves in the playoffs, you're going to be held to play against. Yeah. And the Canucks are a team that can be held to play against all of a sudden. And that's what gives them a chance against anybody all of a sudden. The way they can uh, really flip the switch on teams, um, the way they can pressure the puck at times, how they track through the neutral zone. There's some things the Canucks do really, really well that there's a reason why they are... Uh, where they are in the standings and why they could have success in the paper yeah, season. Yeah, and the guy they added... Just made them better at all those things. Exactly. Yeah. It's like making you better at everything that you're trying to be. Yeah. And Kuzmenko clearly wasn't that. So now, we need a little bit more of a sample size to see just how much better they are going to be with Elias Lindholm in the folds. Uh, all right. Kevin Woodley is going to join us, our goalie guru. I, uh, I know you've been on this for a bit, Sat, especially with some of the... Uh, messages we get on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It's it's tough being a goalie in the National <laughs> yes. Hockey League, right? You let in one bad goal and everybody's out with their pitchforks for you. But Thatcher Demko, now nine straight wins on the season. He's not going to be Canucks MVP this year. We know Quinn Hughes is likely lining up for that position. But is Demko maybe having the best season we've seen ever from a Canucks netminder? Mm-hmm. There's one really great season that comes to mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe really uh, great. for a guy that his name rhymes with uh, Bongo, <laughs> Bongo, Buongo. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that uh, anyways. Uh, all right. We'll get to it next on Canuck Central. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are in the Kintech studio, and we welcome in our Wednesday regular. He is our goalie analyst. He is with In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing Heat and Air Conditioning Hotline to welcome in Kevin Woodley to the program. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai, and as I understand it, he is on location at White Rock Hyundai fortuitous reach fortuitous it yes. was just the, the people here are so good that i just come to hang out <laughs> that's pretty much it plus the service the cot like everything the coffee they take care of you Ooh, oh to come man to they you. got coffee come i'm in the new line they got good they got actually good coffee like real coffee yeah of course wow. everything is first class here uh well sign me up uh so yes i don't know if we got reach level spros i'm gonna have to look into <laughs> the artisanal spros <laughs> uh, i don't know i will uh well, well we can work with them if if not anyways uh, uh yeah he's uh, uh dan riccio he he is pretty particular with his coffee i, I would I, say i can imagine i can <laughs> but, but the question now is, now that we've got through uh, all about me i want to know all about reach like did they they reach that designated level of spro satisfaction in Cabo? Are they able to achieve that true Italian blend? It, it was uh, it was good enough. You know, they had a nice uh, they had a nice espresso machine. There was a little right. cappuccino bar. No cappuccinos after eleven, but the spros the spros were good. The espresso martinis also also uh, also good. So everything tastes everything's better when it's like twenty five to thirty degrees and sun. Right, a hundred percent. Yes, 
<laughs> and it's already paid for as well. That 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 generally helps too. Uh, all right, so let's get it on the on the Canucks. They win again last night because uh, you know that's just what this Canucks team does. They just find ways to win hockey games. They're the best in the league. Something Sat and I were just talking about, and something we've talked about all season long with you. Is this an elite defensive team? Yes. Yeah. And 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 you know this thing like there's been a couple little dips, a couple little. You know, we t- I remember talking like around the new year, right? Like they were starting to loosen up a little bit um, in terms of the rust chances they were giving up. And it was mostly off turnovers in the offensive end. And, hey, you know, would we see the lotto line continue if they were a part of that? Things like that. And there's always going to be those ups and downs in an 82-game season. But their underlying profile, and frankly, this goes back to last year when Rick Tockett a lot arrived, is a top-five team. So if we consider top-five out of 32 elite, then yeah, that's how they're performing defensively, and that's how they've performed defensively since he got here. And one of the things, too, we saw last night is much of the same in the third period, boxing out really well, and Reach brought up brought up the point of uh, what Talkett often mentions about uh, only making the goalie play half the net, and we saw that in that third period. So as much as there was a lot of volume by Carolina, like they barely give up any any real quality chances. And then you yep. add in like Elias Lindholm and how well he can defend. Like As much as they spend time in their own zone, they give, they give up next to nothing. Yeah, no, and, and um, you know, I'm actually kicking myself. I didn't look up the exact number of high-danger chances in the game, and certainly there were some. There were some where Demko had to get across and, and you know, make sort of lateral plays and lateral saves. That's just that's part of the game. But to me, what was, un- what was interesting is, is Carolina attacks a little differently. Like, they're one of the few teams that, as much as they have the skill at times to create those types of scoring chances and force those types of saves, they are a team that likes to just funnel things to the net, try and create traffic and chaos and and win those battles. And I thought, you know, it was a good example of the Canucks. Hey, like we can play it this way too. Um, as you said, boxing out, not, not losing those puck battles in front of the net. And the odd one where a guy did get a stick on it, Thatcher's in perfect position. You know, I think of the stall one where that's a, you know, bang, bang chance. And because he's already moving before stall shoots, it's right in the chest. Right. So um, they've done a much better job of, as Talkett says, giving the goalies, the ability to sort of only have to focus on one side of the ice and worry less or less often at least uh, about the, the clear left to right or, or right to left, east, west, lateral. But they've also done a nice job of, of taking care of the front of their net. And I think that's been throughout the season, right? You know, frankly, I think it's better even more when Carson Zussi's healthy, right? So, like, these are all things that bode well you know, again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but they bode welcome playoff times. Mm-hmm. The underlying numbers defensively, what they give up five-on-five five in terms of high-danger chances, those are things that tend to translate well come the postseason. And also, I just think last night was an example of a different type of opponent um, where you're sort of facing a different type of attack and having to deal with something different defensively, and they were able to handle it. And, you know, it'll be different when they play – Edmonton, who's trying to create off the rush, or Vegas, who has the ability to create counter off the rush, but isn't gonna, you know, isn't gonna push or force. Like, there's going to be different styles you're going to have to deal with and defend against, especially come playoff time. And they've kind of shown over the course of the year that they maintain their structure no matter what they're playing against, and still maintain, like I said, what is a top five defensive profile in terms of the underlying numbers, and that matters. 
So on that uh, Rick talk, it like he's he said it a bunch of times. I know he was asked a, a couple of times over the weekend, and he, he mentioned it. We only want our goalies to play half the net, but wouldn't every coach want that? Like, do other teams have a different philosophy, different mindset, Woodley? No, I think for the most part, teams understand how offense is created in the NHL, and that if you make a goalie have to go across the middle of the ice, it used to be you know Stephen Valakets and his company ClearSight coined that term. Um, Royal Road, and now even yeah. they refer to it as slot line. So basically, you, you split the offensive zone in half, right up the middle of the ice, from the goal line to the top of the circles. If you can create plays across the middle of that, whether it's a carry and shoot, a pass and a shoot, where you don't allow, you force the goalie to go from one side to the other, complete rotation, and don't give him time to set on the other side, you're going to score more goals. And I think mm. most teams understand that. Most teams understand, you know, the other side of creating offense that way is we need to prevent that. I think the team that sort of started this all is the Penguins, ironically, under Rutherford when they won back-to-back cups. I know the Capitals, when they won their cup, it was based on analytics of sort of copying that, preventing that, and trying to create it at the other end. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think for the most part, teams understand that reach, but uh, emphasizing it, uh, building it into your structure, I think the way they use sticks, uh, in their own end, in terms of breaking up passes, breaking up plays, uh, some of the some of the technique that they use, and, and talking to different people around that, the way they're teaching it, uh, there's just everybody knows you have to do it. Not everybody stresses it to the same degree they do here. Not everybody gets the buy-in that Rick Tockett has gotten here. Um, not just by guys understanding you need to prevent this, but by making sure they have the habits to be in the right position, both physically and with their sticks and with their pressure points that it happens less, less often. And I think in talking to Ian Cole a couple times earlier this season, not chasing when it happens once. Mm. Like, if somebody makes a mistake and a seam pass gets through and it's going to happen, obviously going to happen on the PK, nobody coming out of their structure trying to make up for one mistake by creating two or three more that leads to a second chance the other way. And that's, that's to me, the biggest thing. You can probably count on two hands the number of times where they've got what we would call a double slot line play against where it goes across one way and then back across the other real quick. And those are, those almost become like 60% and up type chances. They're not giving up very many of those this year. And that used to be something that we used to see regularly, especially on the PK. Uh, This is one of the reasons why uh, you're one of the best at Woodley, because you talk about the buy-in, explain it perfectly and, and explain something we talk about a lot in a different, unique way. Fantastic stuff. And and as far as, you know, uh, being able to execute the plan you mentioned, you also need to have the offensive players that can create those chances. And that's something you're seeing, obviously, with Pedersen and and their top end guys. And now they add Elias Lindholm to the mix here, which which in many ways just makes them better at all their strengths really and enhances their overall team game. And how, what, how much of a benefit do you think it is to have a guy like that, that also takes some of the burden and pressure off your other high end players in tough situations? Yeah, no, like I think the profile, obviously they know him and they did their homework. And I think at this point, you know, given how rarely they've missed and how many times they've hit, you give them a benefit of the doubt regardless. But I think even, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, what has Elias Lindholm been? Like, he's been an elite offensive player. Well, like, managing to balance that with a good defensive profile and playing for coaches like Daryl Sutter, who demand similar things. Maybe not the exact same, um, you know, w- what we give up, what we prevent, where we are in certain positions. I know we talked post game uh, to the reporters in, in Carolina about the PK structure being different here and having to adjust to that. But the demands of sort of those defensive details, like this is a guy 
who has produced elite offensive numbers while playing for a coach that demands those details not be ignored in Calgary, right? So, again, um, you're not counting on him to be that the level offensively that he was when he was with Gaudreau and Kachuk and arguably the best line in hockey that season, but you like the fact that he's had that sort of experience, that history, without having to sacrifice the defensive end. Like, that's always been part of his game. He gives you a right shot. Uh, right face-off guy, uh, guy who can penalty kill. Like, there's just – it fits in so many different ways. Uh, and I think, you know, you saw it last night. And it's, you know, I heard talk, talking afterwards about the, the power play and the lack of net front. And you know, I think it was w- with you guys uh, last week after the trade, it was one of the things that I don't know we asked enough about that Kuzmenko got away from was that net front the tips, the deflections. And I think we got to cut him a little slack too, because at the beginning of the year, he was going to those spots and it was after he took that puck in the face that it sort of seemed like it was happening less often, or he was off to the side of the goalie rather than in the goalie's eyes. And, you know, again, you even look at his production up until getting smacked in the face with the one, the JT Miller slap shot and afterwards, and it's like night and day. So um, with Lindholm going, like you just saw, it was perfect, right? Like the tips, deflections in the goalie's eyes, all the things that we were praising them for earlier in the season and that maybe had slipped a little, especially when you pull Brock away from the net front, um, Lindholm brought it last night. So, yeah, just so many different elements that he adds. It, It seems premature to say perfect fit, but you could see that it looked like it was going to be a good fit before he ever played a game, and certainly nothing you saw last night changed your mind. So Demko's up to, to nine straight wins. He ties the uh, the franchise record held by uh, Dan Cloutier. He's never going to catch uh, Roberto Luongo's uh, 07 season where he had 47 wins in 76 games. But what's amazing is he's won 75% of his starts this year. He's got 27 wins in 36 games. That would be better than you know, Roberto Luongo's uh, win percentage from the 2011 season. I mean, sneakily, Demko's having one of the best seasons in franchise history. Yeah, you know, and I would have pointed to that uh, Luongo season as sort of like that's the gold standard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any other year he wins a Vesna, but Marty gets to 48 and Marty's Marty, so it's the GMs are always giving him that award, even though I'd love to see what some of the adjusted. Like, I, I wish ClearSight Analytics exist, existed then Yeah. because my hunch is if we had those numbers – and the GMs looked at them, that vote might go differently, even though Broder sets a record, or at the very least, it's a lot closer. Well, it wasn't a good um, defensive team in, a, in 07 for the Canucks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And listen, I just think in today's game, like it's really hard to do it without some of this defensive structure. So as much as we're praising the way they play under Tockett, don't diminish what Demko's doing, right? He's still outperforming that environment you know, by a significant margin, you know, top 10 in the league top three in the league in terms of goals saved above expected, the cumulative version of, of that. Um, you know, it's probably going to be him and Hellebuck, and in my mind should be Jacob Markstrom in the conversation for the Vesna Trophy. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of the sort of midseason coming to the All-Star break. I, I think ESPN had one today where, you know, they had Hellebuck as the front runner. At the end of the day, Hellebuck's been on a hell of a run. Demko had an unbelievable run at the start of the season, so there's probably some recency bias there. Whoever finishes hotter is going to probably end up with a Vesna trophy. But to your point, I think you're right. Like when you look at from a percentage of starts and the points he's picking up, um, this has a chance to be up there with Luongo's 47 win season as one of the greatest in Canucks history. It's, 
it's impressive stuff what he's doing. And I think the most impressive part of all of this is both Demko and the defensive play because of the buy-in I talked about earlier. It it looks sustainable. Mm-hmm. No, it certainly does. And, you know, from the overall team game, but also how Demko's playing and even how the backup's done, Casey the Smith when he's come in. We still get some nitpicking, though. It's funny on the postgame show, Woodley, like people will text in. And even last night, uh, people were like, hey, he should have made the save on Aho. And I'm like, yeah. well, I mean, look at that shot by Sebastian Aho. Unless he gets a shout out, Demko's getting some kind of criticism on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's just the way it goes and, for goalies. Yeah, it's just a reality. Yeah, You're think- right. I'm pretty sure the defenseman's in the wrong lane there. Like again, we've talked yeah. about that in the past, and I don't want to. I don't want to be passing the buck. Goalie union card guy who blames that on Juleson. Uh, I, you know, like again, uh, I don't know if he's like. I think he's the flex guy. He's flexing out to that to that shooter to Aho, and in that case, he's he's supposed to be in the middle, and Demko's supposed to be on the short side, and it goes in, you know, in the middle lane over top of what is a sort of one knee drop off that skate. So two things there. One, it's Aho elite offensive player to, you know, I think if the goalie screen that that's Juleson's lane, he's supposed to take care of and he wasn't in it fully. And three, like stuff happens. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming Juleson either. Like it's a dynamic game. The reality is a shot like that from there. If you don't see the release, which Demko didn't, you're not, you don't have a chance that might go in anyways. But if you don't see the release, like it's like the one against Nylander that gets deflected on the way there. Mm-hmm. I've stressed this before. Connor Hellebuck, the best in the game. Uh, Ryan Miller, Braden Holpe, guys who've won Vesna trophies in the past. They will all tell you if you are waiting till the puck is already on its way to the net to read where it's going and react to it, it's already past you. You have to see the release from that range to be able to react to it, especially when it's targeted as well as that shot was by Ajo. So if you're ripping on Demko for that one, man, reality check time. And are we also not seeing players shoot it better than ever before, too, with the velocity they get off uh, with these shots and just the overall talent level, the way it's risen? I mean, it's not a coincidence that goals are up across the National Hockey League. So in terms of some of these clean you know, uh, beats, so to speak, sometimes that we're seeing, should we, should we be giving more credit to the shooters than perhaps we have in the past even? Yeah, and, and I think my point would be I wouldn't call that a cre- like like that's not a clear sight shot. Right. right? I, again, I wish I wish I had my computer up and in front of me, and that's the only downside. The only downside to spending time at Wire Rock on Day is I did not have time to bring <laughs> right. my computer and pull it out. But I guarantee you, their Wi-Fi would have been good. Um, Don't doubt the, that. So it's I just couldn't you know I'm guaranteeing that's at least a mid danger, possibly a high danger. Um, that's the reality of today's shooters. If you can't see, even if you do see a release, there are guys in the league that can beat you clean. Uh, but when you can't see it, as I said before, like that's just, you're almost playing hit me at that point, right? You're relying on your positioning because you don't have time to react. And if a guy picks a spot, a guy picks a spot. And you're right. Game's never been harder from a goaltending perspective. I've had this conversation with guys around the league all season and they kind of agree. Although there are some guys in the 80s that say, hey, yeah, back when the puck hit you, it hurt. That was harder. The, the sort of uh, fear factor is gone from goaltending, and a lot of the guys that are now saying the game's never been harder never had to experience that. So I'll tip my cap to the guys that did and ended up black and blue on both sides. But in terms of the sort of skill level and dynamic offense and the teaching that goes on around the league about how to beat goaltenders, where to shoot, how to exploit them, and especially as much as that's top glove last night on Demko, you know, 
we are seeing shooters recognize, especially against certain types of goaltenders who hold their gloves in certain types of ways, guys are looking for, it used to be low blocker, now it's low glove too. So the teaching, um, the understanding from a shooting perspective on where and how to beat goaltenders and how to, you know, be deceptive, how to show one look and deliver another, what goalies are looking for in terms of the way your hands are, how to show them you're going one place and then the last second change it. Man, it's just, it's all getting harder and harder for goalies. And so, yeah, you know, more and more often, again, goalie union card, maybe it's coming out a little bit, but there's there's more times than I think we realize where you just got to tip your cap. And that's why it comes from giving up time and space. And so that's why when you defend as a five-man unit, when you take away lanes, when you always have sticks in lanes, there's always a pressure point, it becomes that much harder. And that's one thing analytics, you know, even clear sight will never measure. Um, was the shooter under pressure? Because without that pressure, guys on fourth lines in practice will beat Vesna Trophy finalists on the regular from good spots with time and space. It's why so much of practice is a waste of time for goalies because guys get looks they'll never get in a season. So if you are a team, like the Canucks used to, that gave the opponent time and space to pick those spots, to choose their release, to look up, to use deception because they're not worried about being rushed, yeah, pucks are going to go in. Um, I always wish we had more time, Woodley. But, uh, well, I talk too much. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll look to catch you next time at White Rock Hyundai. I'll, I'll probably be here. I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm going back <laughs> in and have another coffee. Sounds good. Thanks for this. Take care, guys. Uh, there he is. Uh, Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650 was brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. And he also joins us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. Uh, always more to talk about because uh, the Bruins are on tap tomorrow. Yeah. And somehow the Bruins are still great defensively. I yeah. would have expected without Pat- Patrice Bergeron that, that maybe there would be a little bit of a dip. But... Maybe the dip has just been sort of nullified by their goaltenders being even better than they were last year when they won the Jennings Trophy. And the structure they play with, yeah. right? Uh, that, that word yet again. And no team may have better structure than the Boston Bruins. Is that essentially like what the best teams in the league do? They sort of have a, a program and they live and die to that program and it's... We want to acquire players that are going to be able to fit into this type of a system and play our style of hockey, play Bruin hockey, whatever it might be. It seems like that's sort of the way because so many of these teams, I mean, they've been good for a long time. And even those teams that are rebuilding and retooling, whatever you want to call it, they seem to take forever to come out of that sort of cycle of rebuilding. Yeah. So... There the Bruins are. Yeah, you need to have some leaders, and their defense is still really good. I mm-hmm. mean, for as much as they've lost some top-end guys, I mean, Charlie McAvoy, Lindholm, I mean, the way Carlo defends, they have a good back end. Yeah. Remember when Hampus Lindholm was, looked to be washed in Anaheim, then he shows up with the Bruins, and he's just like, oh, yeah, this guy's the number one defenseman again. Or like Charlie Coyle is a career third-line center, and oh, yeah, no, he's first-line center. It's fine. Just what happens. It's just what happens when you when you wear Bruins Bruins colors. It's a clam chowder. Trent Frederick, journeyman? No, he's great now. Of course he is. <laughs> Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. All right, coming up. Overrated, underrated here on a Wednesday. It is Canuck Central.